correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com Welcome to Opcast, Arms Around the Trinity Continuum. Our podcast does in-depth reviews of the books covering everything from first edition to the newest story path system edition of the books published for the Trinity Continuum, including Aeon, Aberrant, Adventure, and more. Our show is hosted across the multiverse, and sometimes we may reference times, places, and shows that you don't have in your feed. Don't worry, this isn't a bug. It's just us referencing alternate realities. We'll do our best to ensure all episodes end up appearing eventually, but they may not always go out in the order we record them or even have the same hosts. If you'd like to email us with awesome comments, ideas, or frustration, you can do so at tcopcast at gmail.com. That's tcopcast at gmail.com. Scott, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. My name's Scott Cuban. I am the runner of Simulacra Studios, an actual play studio. I'm also a co-host of the Polyhedron RPG Discussion Podcast, and I'm a huge damn fan of the Trinity Continuum. And I'm Josh Heath, formerly known of Werewolf the Podcast, which is still on, so not formally, high-level games and other cool projects. I am in love with the Trinity Continuum and have been so since day one, even though For some reason, I misread names and do so for 20 plus years. Today, (laughs) we are going to talk about the Trinity Continuum in general, just kind of get excited about it. And we are joined by Ian A.A. Watson, the current content lead of the Trinity Continuum. Ian, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Doing great. This is a great day. So let's start off with a simple question. And Ian, we're going to toss it to you. What is the Trinity Continuum? Simple question, you said. Yeah, real yeah. simple. Come on. Yeah. Uh, the Trinity Continuum is so, sort of like the World of Darkness isn't just one game. It's an umbrella, a collection of games. The Trinity Continuum is a collection of action adventure games uh, set in a multiverse. So with the core rulebook, it's set in the modern day, your standard action adventure movie or film so if you like leverage or if you like the born identity or you like the a team the core will can handle all of that and currently uh we're going all the way into the year 2123 for your sort of space opera sci-fi with aeon all the way back in time to the currently in development aether which is uh 1895 ish for not exactly steampunk, but, you know, in that general area. The Trinity Continuum really, like, it's a way to tell so many different types of, like, science fiction-style stories, and it's one of its strongest points, its ability to hop genres, not just within the line itself, but in individual games, you could really play around with genre, and that's one of the things I love the most about it. Yeah, even with Aeon, like, we do have sort of a a table featuring, like, if you like this subgenre of science fiction, here is where you should probably focus your games. Uh, So if, for example, you like the bug hunts of uh, Starship Troopers, you can bring your crew to the overrun colony of Conseil Luguet. If you like a cyberpunk dystopia, you can go to the the arcologies of uh, the Federated States of America. And you can set an entire story in one place, 
or you can hop around from week to week. It, it's, it's a really flexible sort of setting. And I really love that about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the favorite thing for me as well is that ability to say this story of the week can be completely different than the last and or I'm going to run a Star Trek inspired, you know, investigate and integrate and diplomatize with people around the world. That's not a word. I'm just going to run with it. And you can also say, instead of doing all of that, I'm going to run an aberrant game that is a four color superhero game or a deconstruction Watchmen style game or a Marvel Cinematic Universe style game. All of those you can do with the same like rule set, same toolbox. I think that's amazing and fantastic. Absolutely. And then you can take your aberrant four color game and project it into the future uh, and deal with, with the clashing of, of those types of genres, if you so desire, because the rules all work together. Mm-hmm. Yep. That I think in particular with the newest rule set with the story path yeah. system is what's so good about it is that you don't have to worry about making it all fit. It all fits, you know, and that while there's power differentials there, you can still do it and it's not going to be too broken. Right. And I, I should mention again, this is all sort of one umbrella universe. Mm-hmm. So if you're playing Aberrant, you don't need to know anything about any of the other games, but it adds a certain extra richness uh, knowing that, uh, say, the future of the Aeon Society when it comes to the Aeon Trinity, you can sort of follow the threads forward and, and you can see how something develops from one stage to the next or you know look backwards in time to see how we got there from an earlier stage. So... It's, it's fun putting in all these little seeds and all these little threads and connecting everything together. Definitely. So let's pull on that continuum a little bit to talk about the continuum of the continuum. Originally, these were books published by White Wolf back in the day. I think Aeon came out in 97, correct me if I'm wrong? Yes, uh, 97 for Aeon, uh, which was Aeon for all of two weeks before it got renamed Trinity. Uh, but we're using the original name again, so it's Aeon. Um, and then 99 was Aberrant, and then 2001 was Adventure, with an exclamation point. Right. So it was a White Wolf product. It definitely had the White Wolf sort of feel to it with being a little bit like dark and gritty. But now we've got this new continuum. And who who owns the continuum these days, Ian? Rewinding a little bit. Uh, in 2006, White Wolf merged with CCP. So at that point... CCP owned the whole White Wolf IP. And then around uh, 2011, 2012, uh, CCP decided they were no longer going to do any publishing. And so Rich Thomas, uh, who was White Wolf's creative director, struck out on his own with uh, Onyx Path Publishing. And while he maintained the license to publish a lot of the more popular White Wolf IP, like Vampire the Masquerade and Exalted and all that sort of thing. He purchased outright several properties, uh, the Scarred Lands, Scion, S-C-I-O-N, and uh, the Trinity Continuum. So this is wholly owned by us at Onyx Path. And the reason you define Scion and that is specifically because there are Scions with a P in Aeon who you play. Yes, P-S-I-O-N. Right. That does not get confusing at any time when you're talking about the games. Uh, It's one of those things that is fun to be like, I'm talking about Scion with an S when you're speaking out loud um, or Scion as in the characters in in Trinity. That that has been a a point of confusion since literally 1997. I don't I don't remember exactly when the first edition of Scion came out. 2007. 2007. Okay, so it wasn't it wasn't that long, but still. One of the early posts I made on the 
Kickstarter for the Trinity Continuum sort of details my history with trying to resurrect the thing. Mm-hmm. So way back in 2003, when I was sort of plotting out like a, a rebooted version of the Trinity universe, uh, I was thinking like, okay, I don't want to call it Aeon, Aberrant, and Adventure. I want to call it Nova. I want to call it um, Daredevil. And I want to call it Scion, P-S-I-O-N. Mm-hmm. And then it was like two, three years later that like, hey, we've got this new game called Scion. Like, oh, gee, well, there goes well, that. Shoot that in the head. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ian, you were originally a fan back when this was first published, right? And oh, yeah. you you have slowly be wormed your way in uh, insidiously, in a good way, into the development of the games, right? Can you yes. tell us a little bit of that history? Sure. Um, yeah, I was uh, a fan. You know, I, I got into it right you know, right at the outset, 97, I, I got one of the, the early uh, limited editions, the first limited edition White Wolf ever did. And now we're doing tons of them. And I joined uh, the demo team program and got little tidbits about the upcoming game called Adventure that they were going to be doing. It's a great name, but it's got terrible SEO. And even at the time, I was like this, like, you couldn't call it anything else. And I, I think it was Tim Avers who said, like, yeah, we considered a lot of things and really we couldn't think of a better name than this. Then I joined the uh, White Wolf moderated chats. And although technically the Trinity universe part of those chats was unmoderated, I was the only person with storyteller access on that chat. Early on, you know, I've, I've got my credit. So that's like 20 years ago now at this point. When the line uh, stopped development around 2002, I started pondering uh, doing sort of fan-made supplements then a couple of years later, that shifted to uh, a proposal to Rich and Eddie to sort of license out the game line to reboot the whole thing that I, I actually, to my surprise, got told yes, and then got radio silence for about a year. And then they got back to me and said, look, we've just merged with CCP. They've got their own science fiction property. So the yes is going to have to be a no. But um, when Onyx Path was striking out on its own, uh, Rich contacted me and said, how about you resend that pitch that you made originally? Well, that got me where I am now. Uh, he, he just he decided that I was the person to be in charge of the new edition. And I wasn't sure what he was smoking, but it seems to be working out okay. It certainly has. I mean, you guys, I, I think you guys have done such a great job with uh, all the Trinity Continuum books, uh, not just like retreading the old stuff but really bringing new stuff into the, the story and the, the, the resources that are available to players and story guides. Like I, I can continually forward with every release that I see. So I can definitely say, I think that was a good jo- good decision on Rich's part. Well, thank you very much. It's, it's gratifying to hear that. I mean, we've got sort of that, that vast library of first edition material mm-hmm. to refer to, plus some, uh, some of the stuff that was brought into the D20 edition in 2004. For example, with the Upfront Core Rulebook, we were able to bring in Team Tomorrow mm-hmm. and uh, the Daedalus League, both of which were in one of the final products for Aberrant First Station, and just stick them right up front and center in the core rulebook this time around. So we can take a lot of that content and we can either condense it because you know we, we have all that store of material, so we don't need to spread across eight books. We can stick it in one book and we can we can build off that and, and create new stuff. Like Gorgon Karst is, is one of my favorite bits of uh, Terra Pharma. It's, it's, it's a, a great setting. And stuff that we don't cover, 
we can just sort of rely on our fans to just look it up in first edition and just sort of assume that's more or less canon. So it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it really does does help to have that that backlog of of really rich material from the first edition. I know, you know, as a story guide and and I'm continually drawing from both sources uh, and it's really great to have it. On that note, Scott, can we give our listeners kind of like your experience and it, like a background in oh, the tree. Sure, absolutely. I mean, my my experience has been probably almost entirely fan-based, you know, as a fan, as a player, as a storyteller or a story guide at this point. I've run many iterations of Trinity Continuum games from first edition onto second edition. I am currently running an aberrant virtual uh, actual play uh, with Josh as a player uh, called Atomic Youth, which is based on teen superheroes. Uh, both from the Project Utopia team tomorrow and a, a a faction of the Terrigen that I've invented called the Legacy. And we've been doing some fun stuff with that. We've been doing stuff with like mixing those teams up. And it's really kind of a kind of more of a love letter to the Claremont era New Mutants run of comics than anything else. And we have been having a blast with that. Then that's that's a lot of my like I said, it's mostly fan and, and player based. Happy to be able to talk to people who are, you know, touching the books. But I, I consider myself first and foremost a, a very active fan. Well, I mean, that's how I got started. So mm-hmm. great. Right. That's what I like about your story, Ian, is it makes folks that are really excited fans, it gives them like a sense of, hey, there's an opportunity here. If I if I love this in the right way and, res- and am respectful and can do a good like story pitch. Maybe I can end up being a writer or an editor or work on these properties in one form or another. So, well, honestly, that's how most of us got here. We were all fans of the the property, and uh, we just sort of put in the work and met the right people and worked our way up to where we are. Like Travis, the guy's a machine. He he doesn't know when to stop. <laughs> uh, he is our um, among other things. He is our Scarlands developer. Dixie, uh, well, Dixie had more of a, a circular path onto where she's working but uh matthew dawkins he started off he was one of the higher the the high tier pledgers on one of our kickstarters so he got to be one of our consulting developers and got to see how the process worked then he started writing for us then he started developing for us now he's overseeing the world of darkness so it anyone can do this um Mm -hmm. and one of the great things now is we have all of our community content programs and that is an excellent way to get your foot in the door Yep. My experience with that line is it's as exactly a great path into it. I have developed an outrageous amount of community content and then put together a decent pitch for Onyx Path and got picked up as a writer, started doing some writing, did the editor uh, test that Onyx Path has and got picked up as an editor and have helped with some layout work with some of the phone books that Onyx Path has done. It's about relationships and doing good work and finding those opportunities. I'm going to talk just briefly about my experience with the Trinity Continuum. I've mentioned this in other places, but for folks that don't know, I have been involved with the Trinity Continuum since Aberrant was released. Aberrant was one of the very first games that I picked up and said, this is my game. And I read it cover to cover over and over and over again. And still for years, said Divis Small's name wrong and <laughs> those things happen but I adored the game so much that whenever my gaming crew would be like hey we're gonna play a new game I would be like can we play Aberrant and sometimes they would be like yes Josh we can play Aberrant and sometimes they were like no we're gonna play D&D or we're gonna play something else but whenever I got the opportunity it was like can we play Aberrant and I would grab the book and we would play that 
And then I got an opportunity really early on when Adventure came out to run a Cowboy Bebop game using the Adventure rules. And that was really short-lived, but still sits in my brain as one of the coolest uses of a game that is only like tangentially related to the property that I was doing it for, but is like this fits the themes and mood and ideas of, of that world so well that it was a really, really good fit. And what I love about the Trinity Continuum now is that there are ways to play exactly that kind of game built into either the core rules, you can use talents for that, or it, you can use adventure rules, or you could just run it in Aeon and that would work as well. So I've loved this for a very long time. And recently, I can say this, uh, I've gotten the opportunity to be an editor on some books in the line. And I uh, will admit that I nearly cried when I first got the uh, the first book, because I was like, I got, I get the opportunity to edit this and have like an opportunity to put my fingers on something that I have loved from the very beginning. So uh, I'm going to stop, you know, gushing, but uh, mm -hmm. The Trinity Continuum is, is, is a world and a game set that I really, really love. So I'm glad we're here talking about it. Well, thank you. Josh, you, you mentioned something that sparked a question in my head. And, and Ian, this is something that we've gone over a couple of times over on, on Polyhedron, but, but I've, 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 something's been crawling in my head. Does Divismal having arms, is that like a cosmological constant or in, are there versions of the multiverse where Divismal does not have arms? So this is what we're going to do now. We're going to fight. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, it's been itching my head, and I have to know from the source. Divisbaugh has arms. Okay, cool. That's what that's what I, that's what my feeling was, but I mm. had to know. I'm glad to know that because <laughs> there was there's been debate for years on whether or not he does. So that's good to hear. I always I was slightly on the edge of maybe he doesn't, but it's good to know he does. Anyway, so moving on from that, which we Please. will not explain that in joke. <laughs> um, what I guess we've kind of touched on this really briefly in like really vague ways, but there are some core themes and moods to the Trinity Continuum as a whole. Being uh, what are those themes and uh, how do they kind of play out in the various games themselves? Well, there's uh, sort of a holy trinity, if you will um, hope, sacrifice, and unity. Uh, adventure is really sort of the era of hope. Aberrant is the era of sacrifice, and Aeon is the era of unity. But that's that's not a strict thing. Like obviously, there's still hope going on in Aeon. There's you know elements of sacrifice going on. Obviously, there are our new game lines now, which you know don't fit into that the original trilogy from first edition. Uh, so you know it doesn't you know have those nice neat little slots. But yeah, by and large, that's it. It's it's a much more positive and uplifting sort of thing than a lot of the other games, White Wolf and Onyx Path have been known for. Yeah. And what I like too is the original Trinity kind of games were a little bit darker, but this newest edition is saying you can do that if you want to. There's opportunity and space for that in the world, but there's also a leaning into the, we kind of need brighter solar punk-ish style games in our lives. And it's mm -hmm. okay to look at these and go, there is actual hope for you to dig into and tell stories about. Yeah. Um I mean, White Wolf was known for a thing, the world mm -hmm. of darkness. And by the time the original edition of Aeon had come out, I think the only non-World of Darkness game that they had done was Street Fighter. <laughs> so, you know, they were, they were sort of riding the wave of 
like, yes, it's a science fiction game, but there's also these dark conspiracies going on and a lot of the organizations are corrupt. Now, PCs are heroes, but all the organizations they belong to are not. And, you know, they were writing what they knew. This, this is what sold well for them with the World of Darkness. So I, I don't blame them for going in that direction, but in our modern dystopia, um, I'm kind of tired of games that go darker. I mean, I love the world of darkness, but if I'm going to be doing something, I want to be doing something where the world is on an upward trend. It may not be great, but people are making it better and PCs can be a part of that. Yeah, that was important to me. That kind of discourse was pretty heavy, I think, when um, like Vampire Fourth Edition, Fifth Edition was was being developed and discussed. A lot of people I heard expressing that sentiment of, is this what we need right now in this world? And it, it's it's good to see all of the other games coming into existence that respond, you know, we need something more hopeful. The Trinity Continuum games being one of them. Right. And Vampire has its place. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I said, I, I love the World of Darkness. Uh, I, like, I, I killed my wrist working on uh, the V20 core rulebook. So, you know, I understand the, the, the need to do something darker from time to time. But also, that's not the world I want to live in right now. Um, I'm spending a lot of my time working with the training continuum, and I don't think I'd be able to do that if I was doing it with the World of Darkness. Now, before you mentioned that there are some ex- some new, I want some extra, some new games that are coming out for the continuum. I want to just touch on first, like the core actually presents a new setting all of its own of kind of like right now, 10 minutes from now. Yeah. But then there are some other settings as well. Tell us about those. So the core, I should say, it's it's not it's not a strong setting. It's a very roughly sketched out setting. Uh, we throw a few organizations at you, have like some newspaper clippings and such, and mostly just sort of leave it up to you to figure out what the world looks like. And if you've seen any action adventure film or TV series in the last twenty years, you're probably going to be fine figuring that out. Average takes place in 2028, which is our uh, supers game. Um, in 2018 big event happens, people start manifesting superpowers. So what does the world look like 10 years on? And it's not the sort of thing, like the general feel of it is similar to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but uh, it's not the sort of thing where often in the comics and in movies, people come up with these fantastic technological revolutions that they use to fight bad guys, but the world is pretty much the same. In this world, you can change the world. If you invent you know, some new kind of fabric or some new kind of engine that can have a profound effect on, on how the world works. Then there's Aeon, which is our space opera game set in 2123, uh, where you play uh, people, uh, Scions, uh, the PSIONs with their psychic powers, dealing with saving the world from a devastating war that happened 60 years back. Uh, some of the people responsible for that war are returning. Uh, there's also various alien races out there that we're dealing with. We've recently recontacted some of our lost colonies. So there's a lot going on. In 1934, we have Adventure, which is uh, a pulp action game. And then getting into our newer games, uh, the one currently uh, furthest along in development, uh, the Kickstarter should be soon, is Anima, which is set in 2084, which it's sort of what I call a light cyberpunk Um like if you think of Blade Runner or that sort of thing, it, like even when it's daytime, it's nighttime. The world is a dark, grungy, terrible place to live. Uh, then you have something like uh, Mirror's Edge or Don't Nods Remember Me, where 
there's bright white, uh, you know, shocks of color from here to uh, from here to there. It's uh, it's still like a fascist government. The the world is literally whitewashed, but you don't get that dark oppressive feel that you get in a lot of cyberpunk. So that's going on. And there's some weird stuff going on with the world's most popular MMO and everyone's got these brain implants, which lets them jack in. So we have sort of this dual cyberpunk lit RPG setting with people going in and out of the MMO. We also have Assassins, which is sort of running parallel to the, the core rulebook. If you like uh, Agent 47 or you like John Wick, it's all that sort of assassin secret, like the, the sort of assassins who are better than human almost. Uh, the sort of people who can curve bullets. Those are our, our assassins. Um, then we have uh, very early in development right now is Aether, which uh, is the the Victorian period game set in 1895, right around the period of the War of the Worlds. Now, I think that's all that we've done so far that we've announced. It sounds like everything I was aware of that's been announced. Yeah. yeah. But if you wanted to say anything else yeah. that could be maybe announced soon, I don't know, you know. I have a lot of things on my list of things I would like to do, but have not been confirmed gotcha. a lot of people have been talking about one idea i tossed out years ago called aegis which would be uh set in uh, ancient greece and they keep on talking about it like it's a real thing <laughs> it's not a real thing it's something i would love to do but it's not a real thing got it i just want to pitch this idea with assassins that this is a game that i'm going to run i'm sorry i'm gonna talk about my game idea for a second no by all means but i have an assassins game that i want to run where you are playing rpg industry people who have to go who also happen to be assassins you are going to gen con to kill someone at gen con because they are also an assassin working for someone in the rpg industry i think it would be hilarious a little bit of satire on our industry and uh kill john wick i wanted to say kill john wick but i don't want to be mean to john wick all right I mean, may end up happening. there could be a very confusing moment where, uh, you know, guest Keanu Reeves and John Wick uh, are on the same panel. And then some shenanigans are happening behind the scenes of the panel. I would be a liar if I would if I told you I had not made that joke before. So oh, by shit. all means, run that game. <laughs> great, great. Uh, we um, got to talk about recording that for an actual play. I'm telling you. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll put it on the on the whiteboard. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, uh, I want to say I have been recently had the opportunity to play Anima uh, with Eddie Webb and my co-host at Polyhedron. That game is great. I am so looking forward to that coming out and and seeing all the art for that because what we got to play of it, fantastic. So, listeners, it's a treat. It's on the way. Look forward to it. Eddie shared with me when you guys read the bit about uh, who was in charge of. Um, uh optech yeah i was uh I, that that was a jaw on on floor moment for me personally i had to explain it to my co-hosts but it was a jaw on floor moment for me i i hope everyone else is excited as you were about that i know i am uh i am biting at the bit is the right, right expression anyway i'm i'm excited to see it when it comes on kickstarter or any other opportunities because it looks it sounds amazing everything i hear about it listen to the every pathcast episode about it specifically because i'm like what else can you tell us about anima? And uh, I've just left every one of those thinking this sounds so fun that I don't know exactly when I'm going to run it, but I cannot wait to do so. Since it's about halfway in between Aberrant and Aeon, there are a lot of connections we're drawing in between 
various organizations from one game line to the next. So if you're the type of person who likes picking up multiple games and looking for all those connections, this game is going to be a big treat for you. I am exactly that type of person. And I am, like I said, adore it. So we talked a little bit about, we've mentioned story path in really like in passing basically, but let's for a moment, just talk about the system. Cause I think it's important to say the old version of these games was effectively the storyteller system with some changes to make it fit the genres a little bit, but it kind of struggled because game design wasn't, I think as effective at hitting genre feel in that era as it is now, or a little bit better about doing it now. That said, what is the story path system? What does that look like? Why does it work well for the Trinity continuum? Well, the original revised storyteller system, I have to say, did fantastically well given the circumstances under which it was created. Mark Reinhagen had a game that he was doing called Exile. So when White Wolf was originally saying, we have the science fiction game coming out that was supposed to be Exile. And then Mark more or less left the company uh, and took Exile with him. White Wolf had about nine months to throw together the original Aeon from setting to system, from original conception to publish. That so, fact floors me every time I hear it because Aeon I know. is so good. Right? I know. Like, it, was, it floors me. It was a fantastic game considering the crunch they were under. And that same system proved to be uh, the basis for Abert, for Adventure, and for Exalted, which, you know, incredible, absolutely mm-hmm. incredible. So it didn't serve fantastically well because, you know, the, the core of the system was designed for the world's darkness. But, I mean, given what it had, it, it did really well. I mean, don't tell me Exalted didn't, wasn't popular, right? Mm-hmm. So the StoryPath system was uh, designed uh, from the ground up to be able to handle a lot of where uh, Storyteller had failed. Uh, Specifically, the the big thing that uh, proved to be a stumbling block was mega attributes. Standard Storyteller system, you have attributes like strength, dexterity, stamina, that sort of thing. And the mega attributes were sort of the super version of that. So, you know, Superman lifting up an entire ocean liner or whatever. Unfortunately, the way Aberrant was put together it was the sort of thing where if you didn't have mega dexterity, you might as well just throw your, your character away because, you know, you were just going to die. And uh, Scion, S-C-I-O-N, had ep- epic attributes, which functioned in a similar way. And it also failed at uh, the, the higher power levels. And given that that's about, Scion is about becoming a literal god, you know, the, the higher power levels are kind of the point. Uh, so we wanted to create a system which would handle everything from the person on the street to the, that god level. And so uh, the, one of the main features of the story path system is scale. If two people are on the same scale as each other, you're not rolling around giant buckets of dice. Superman and Doomsday punching each other, it would be the same as, you know, two guys in a bar. You know, they, they, they might have the same dice pools to throw at each other because compared to each other, uh, they, they have, you know, a similar power comparison, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. So it's, it's a really elegant way of, of handling that sort of thing where, where people might be literal gods punching each other or a huge disparity in between how, like the, the, the power that some people have. If, if Darkseid is punching Batman, realistically, Batman will probably turn into Chunky Salsa. <laughs> uh Batman uh, built into the system is the fact that Batman might have plot armor, but uh, we also have, you know, the the collateral damage where, you know, the, just the entire play field might be destroyed, even though you and your friends are still fighting each other. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a lot going on, which makes Story Path a lot more elegant 
for the sorts of stories we're trying to tell. Another example I like to to use is in the in the original Godzilla movie, no one could do anything to Godzilla until they brought the Mazer online. Mm-hmm. Like, and that was an example of Godzilla's operating at a scale. They had to invent a weapon that operated at least somewhere near Godzilla's scale in order to affect Godzilla. Right. And that's like, you know, when, when, the, when the humans fight back against the aberrants who are wrecking up their town, they have to apply a level of technology to, ho- to have a chance. One of the, it's, I think, an edge that uh, the directive has. Uh, which I, I love. The, the directive are sort of our versions of uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's like, yeah, for one action, ignore scale. So, okay, one thing I can do right now, I can shoot Superman in the head and it is going to hurt. It won't work again, but I can do it once. So sometimes that one once, shot. Yeah, yeah. sometimes yeah. that once is all you need to actually like, Woo, we did it. Yeah, We have one that, kryptonite bullet. That is your Hail Mary. Awesome. Cool. I love it. I have a sort of deep, like, lore style question that i want to explore that is what Um, i'm here for awesome Uh, and and it drills back to um the your days of fan production okay uh and specifically the uh trinity storytellers guide uh that was being produced uh, on a fan level yes and i want to talk about the big bombshell in that particular version of the of that storyteller and like where that came from and how you were, were stumbling that specifically the the uh, the two worlds plot line. Okay, I was going to say which one because we oh, had yeah. a couple in there. Uh, that, that was the one that that that, had, that was always like when I found out about that, it was drilled into my brain as of like, well, this is something I have to think about now. Yeah, for for those unawares, and I have an old wiki up somewhere which has the the full text, at least the text that we had written for the Trinity Storytellers Handbook originally. Uh, just because in a difference in production and development, like I said, Aeon was rushed to print nine months, so they didn't have a lot of time for planning. Aeon and Adventure were sort of more the optimistic uh, sort of game lines, and Aberrant wasn't. And a lot of people felt that Aberrant didn't really fit in with the others, almost like it was running on a different timeline. Uh, so something which was, I think it was originally proposed by White Wolf writer Elizabeth Brooks, because at the time I was on sort of the, the period equivalent of Discord. I, I was on that with a bunch of old White Wolf writers. So I think she was the one who originally proposed the idea of like a, a, a split Max, where Max on his inaugural journey through time, starting from uh, Adventure, he hits sort of the quantum wall of the Aberrant War. And part of him bounces back hard and part of him manages to pass through. So uh, the one who passes through sees, okay, you know, we've made it to, to the other side of the Aberrant War, we're, we're doing well, humanity is on an upward swing, now I'm going to go back to my own time and found the Aberrant, sorry, the, the Aeon Society as this optimistic organization. The one who bounces back hard assumes that there is no future. The Aberrant War was the end of everything. So he goes back in time to, found, uh, to found a more pessimistic Aeon Society whose goal was to mitigate that those damages as much as possible so that that is the origin of the more uh conspiracy-minded aeon society with uh project proteus and everything that we saw in first edition aberrant so in a sense aberrant was running off on its own separate timeline from the other two so there was max one max two um so that was yeah one of the ideas that we put forth in the trendy story numbers handbook just to sort of explain that that difference in in how those game lines were perceived Mm-hmm. I personally was, I was one of the people who have the opinion that that was not a necessary conceit, in my opinion. 
Sure. So I'm real happy that it didn't survive into Trinity Continuum, I got to say. Well, I mean, when we were doing Aberrant this time around, we didn't need to make it that mm-hmm. that pessimistic organization that it was the first time around. Yeah, like definitely well done on that that accord. It, it does fit as a, as a cohesive setting a lot more. Thank you. For any listeners that aren't aware that are coming to this going, I just want to learn about the Trinity Continuum. Maxwell, Maxwell Mercer is a important figure throughout all of the points in the timeline of the Trinity Continuum. He was one of the major, if not the main founder of the Aeon Society, which is an organization that is present in one form or another throughout all of the original three games. And I will assume in some form in all of the different ones that are coming. Uh, The Aeon Society is sort of like the single consistent thread in every single game line that we have going on. And uh, Max Mercer founded it in uh, 1923 after he was he, he attended a scientific demonstration which went poorly and as a result he gained the ability to semi-accurately travel through time he gets better but initially <laughs> initially he has very little control over it and uh yeah that, that leads him to like some people like think that he's sort of a mary sue character because oh max always knows what's going to happen so he knows the best thing to do and no he doesn't he he can guess he has some better knowledge than other people do but He's, he's just trying his hardest and like, I don't know everything that is going on in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Just as, as me, as a person, all I'm stuck in this time period. I don't know what's going on in the whole world. Max, likewise, he can see what's going on in a little slice in the future. Like, okay, I'm going to visit some people and ask them what's up, but he doesn't carry total knowledge. He He's not perfect. Repeat that as many times as necessary. <laughs> he is he is a good person. He is well-meaning, but he does screw up. Yep. And the idea of the continuum allows for these alternate realities too, where yes, Max Mercer in your reality, in your game may know a little bit more, but sure. in, in someone else's game, he is much more focused like Ian is talking about. So you can use that character and all of the characters any sort of way you want to which like that sounds obvious all kinds of storytellers and story guides do that but just having it built into the game is so helpful for well canon doesn't exist you can just do what you want and that's okay and i love being able to tell that to people as far as i'm concerned the story that you and your friends are telling is just as canon as what we're telling we're just telling our story we're the ones who get to publish Well, and so do uh, so do fans with the Storyteller Nexus. Exactly. If you want to publish your own divergent timeline of what's going on, by all means do so as, as long as you're you know, following the guidelines of the, 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 the Nexus. Yep. The StoryPath Nexus. So I'm a huge, obviously, for anyone that knows me, I'm a huge community content nerd. And the opportunity to get to play in the Trinity Continuum by like adding bits and pieces through the Nexus is awesome. Even if it's as simple as, hey, I'm running a one-shot game at a convention, you can take all those pre-generated characters you made and that plot line you made and put it into a little booklet and put it on the Nexus and sell it to people and say, hey, I've participated in the Trinity Continuum. A great opportunity for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the pre-generated characters that I've gotten from the Storytellers Nexus has made running con games like so much easier. (laughs) Like I appreciate that style of content so much. And uh, you can sort of follow in our footsteps too. Like uh, we've been this year, we've been doing um, what we call story path, tasty bits where Mm -hmm. we're just releasing short, like 10 to 20 page little PDFs. For example, we did one for Le Fantôme, which is our sort of, you know, super thief 
uh, leverage style uh, organization. In the Cole rulebook, they got about two pages worth of information, not as much as one of the full allegiances, but you know enough to get you started. And so we expanded that into a, a full write-up uh, alongside rules for running heists. So if you want to take one of the other organizations, which we just barely sketched out and give it like a, a full write-up, 20 pages worth, whatever, by all means do so. I would love to see it. Yep. I did the same thing with my Terra Firma Boston booklet. It's mm -hmm. eight pages, I think. And for me, it was just, I want to pull in a couple of threads from Aberrant and a couple of threads from Aeon and talk about my favorite city and how it might look in a few different ways in Aeon. And it doesn't have any crunch. It's just a setting book. It's not very expensive, but it's enough for anyone else that's like, what does Boston look like in Aeon? Here's an opportunity to say, here's a quick sketch of what Boston looks like in that setting. Right. And like we've had people say like, hey, when you mentioned the UK, you didn't say anything about Wales. Like, okay, well, write something about Wales. <laughs> I, we can't cover all 200 plus countries in the world uh, in, in any sort of detail. So we we had to focus on, you know, the, the big stuff, like everything that we can't cover. Uh, it, it's not something that... In first edition, the idea would be like, well, we'll just wait until we get to the Europe book and then we can go into detail on Europe, but we're not going to get that. So mm -hmm. please take the stuff, take the holes that we're leaving and fill those holes. Absolutely. And, and even with that, Onyx Path is creating lots of awesome content for the Trinity Continuum. There are, I think, 10 books now for Aeon. Don't quote me on that. We don't need an exact number, though I know now that I've said it, people are going to be like, we need an exact number. But there are lots of good stuff out there. There's uh, Terraforma, which covers Earth. There's Distant Worlds, which covers uh, all of the, the extrasolar colonies and new worlds that have yet to be discovered. There's the recently released uh, Under Alien Skies, uh, which uh, covers less the, the other worlds and more of the aliens themselves. And there's the Aeon Expansion, just sort of a grab bag of everything that didn't fit into the core, including uh, Syads, which are sort of naturally occurring Scions, Vargs, uh, Superiors, which are artificial quantum users. Those are the major releases. I'm sure there's a, a couple of minor things that I'm not thinking of right now. Specifically with the, with Under Alien Skies and the Ant Expansion, like this is where you get into like Star Trek Babylon 5 level of like player options, which mm -hmm. is why I of the settings, I think Aeon is my favorite, just because there's so many options in it to, to do so many different styles of stories. And it is really like, if like any sci-fi gamer out there should really treat themselves to looking at Aeon. Yeah, and treat is absolutely what it is. It is a treat to read Aeon. Every time I crack it, I find something new and I find a reference to something that I'm like, oh, that is from X book, and I loved that book. And then I go back and read that book and then go back to Aeon. It, uh, it is an absolute joy. And there's more stuff coming that is, again, also an absolute joy. So, What I love is uh, if, obviously, like if we don't always reuse the same authors, but sometimes we do uh, on multiple projects. And what I love is discovering stuff that I didn't notice was in there just because we've had the same authors on most projects in in media res in one of the stories there uh there's this big you know secret auction of weird stuff going on and a few of the people who are attending are mentioned and then in uh aeon i think it was in terra firma there's the 12 mile limit i think the, mm -hmm. the big uh illicit casino mm -hmm. offshore 
thing. And the same character's name is mentioned as being one of the people who frequents this casino, like a hundred years in the future. So Mm. what's going on there? I didn't put that in there. I didn't know that was in there until someone pointed it out to me. So the secret immortals are always fun. Yeah. So there there's all these weird little tidbits that even I don't know that are in there. And and it's just fun to explore even for me. Yeah. I think, I think the, the sort of the, the plot thread grab bag element of the, the the aeon releases and you know one assumes that your model will follow with like aberrant releases and adventure releases is just a like like as a story guide as primarily a story guide like those books are chock full of value i think it was matthew dawkins who said that when he's developing a book he wants to make sure that every single sentence has like a a a plot thread or a seed for for some of these i don't know that we get every single sentence but you know, at least every paragraph has has a couple things in there for, for people to use to, to spark your imagination, which is fantastic. There's so much going on. Yep, absolutely. So if folks are interested in buying any of these books that we've mentioned, you can do so through drive through RPG. That is the most uh, effective, like quick way. Find all of them through Onyx Paths. Um, storefront on drive through RPG. You can also go to the onyxpath.com. Ian, I'm probably stealing some of what you would mention. Sorry about that. Um, to learn more about the games. And uh, I know that there are some other venues you can talk to your um, friendly local game store and see if they can get uh, any of the books and purchase them. Yeah, the uh, the core rule books. So the Trinity Continuum Core, Aeon, uh, Aberrant, and screens that go with them, the, the story guide screens. Those are all available to be ordered in the standard distribution network. So if you want them at your local game store, please ask. Uh, They're ordered through, I believe, either Studio Two, uh, I think Studio Two works through Alliance, uh, or you can order them directly uh, from Indie Press Revolution. So those are the traditionally printed books. They're the higher quality ones. Uh, Or if you don't want to deal with all that hassle and you just want your book now, 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 you can get them uh, PDF or print on demand from DriveThruRPG. Fantastic. Now, Ian, if folks wanted to follow you and uh, stalk you around the internet, how would they do that? I could be found uh, in most places uh, at uh, Von Aether, V-O-N-A-E-T-H-E-R, specifically Twitter. Uh, I use that many other places too, but whatever. Uh, And on Facebook, I'm uh, at ianaawatson.creative for my various creative pursuits, whether that be shit posting or talking about the books I'm making. And for folks that don't know, Ian does a good shit post. So that is absolutely something you should have on your resume. Thank you. Great. Well, thank you for having me and thank you everyone listening for joining us.